Hello, everybody. This is Jace from the Comic Source coming to you once again with WonderCon. Uh, I have a guest joining me. He's won an Eisner for his work along with Sanford Green and Chuck Brown on Bitterroot. Got a TV show on right now at CW. Also created with some collaborators, Brian Michael Menace and Jamal Campbell. Naomi, maybe you've heard of it. Uh, but it's my pleasure to welcome... Uh, David F. Walker to the show. David, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Uh, that intro there, is it fair to say you like making stuff with your friends? I, you know, I do, and it's interesting because, um, you know, it, it, there's. It, it's interesting that the success I have, the, some of the bigger successes I have at this point in my career are with friends, um, which is a great thing, but it, the, the waters also become sort of difficult to navigate, or, or, or they're different navigation, simply because it's things like, um, they're your friends, and if something goes wrong, like like we've all seen all those music documentaries, right, right. where the band, like they were their best friends in high school, and then they, they hit it big, and then every Everybody hates each other, and you know, fortunately, none of us are, are doing cocaine or anything <laughs> like that. But uh, you know, it, it, if you're, you should at the very least work with people that you like, and if they end up being your friends or if they are your friends, that's even better. So yeah, I, I, I feel I feel very fortunate for that. Cool. Well, uh, we're here today to talk about your campaign that you did a soft launch here at WonderCon. Yeah. Official launch uh, today, as this is being released, everybody, April 4th, uh, for uh, a Zoop campaign. Crowdfunding going directly to your fan base. Tell us what the book is and what it's all about. Uh, well, the book is called Imposter Syndrome. It's a collection, a collection, of collection of short stories, all of them written by me, comic stories, drawn by various different artists, um, and and there's one prose story that's going to be in there, and it's just a lot of it is is the the culmination of a lot of times in COVID being self-reflective and sort of going a little bit crazy as we all did. Um, and, and, but also at the same time, like in, in 2019 and 2020, I had the opportunity to write some shorts for different anthologies, one for like the DC holiday special, uh, another one for humanoids. And, uh, and then there was one for, for fair square press with, um, a, a book called, uh, noir is the new black. And I had so much fun writing these these uh, shorts. They were such a challenge, but also creatively fulfilling. Um, and I got to work with amazing artists. And and I was like, I want to do more of this, uh, but I also sort of want to reverse it and work with artists who I really like, but nobody knew, mm. um, or or you know people who were just really sort of getting their careers going. And so I started working on these really deeply personal shorts with no idea what I was going to do with them. Right, a lot of a lot of them were exercises in creativity, um, and then in 2021, when there was that brief time when we thought everything was going to head mm -hmm. back to normal, uh, the plan was to put out three different mini comics, each one with a short and like some backup material, like script samples, process pages, and then Delta variant hit. <laughs> you know, the convention season didn't officially start in 2021, and I was like, ah, you know, okay, don't do this. Wait. In the meantime, paper prices went up, printing prices went up, everything changed, and and it was at some point it was like, uh, yeah, it's going to be cheaper to collect these into one book than to do the um, the mini comics, and and you know because mini comics they used to be like two dollars each, three dollars each, but it was like, oh yeah, these are going to be like a bunch of ten dollar mini comics when I can do a, a, a full book and have it be twenty twenty five bucks. So that's 
That was a really long-winded answer, wasn't it? It was No, but it's good. It's good because now you got me with a, a lot of other questions. You mentioned the challenge of, of doing these shorter stories. Yeah. Did you find, you know, again, we're all locked down in our houses, you, you know, you're reflecting, you, you know, your outlet is your creativity. Did you find as you went along, the more you did them, did, did it get, start to get easier? It, in some ways it got easier. In some ways it got, I, I, in some ways I made it more challenging for myself, right? So like with the DC one, with the DC short that I wrote, which is not obviously part of this collection, um, when DC approached me about writing it, you know, they said, okay, this is what we want. This is the character we want you to write. It's going to be, it was either eight or ten pages. And my first response was, you know, yeah, no. I, I said, I'd only be interested in doing this if I could use this villain. And they were like, okay. And then I was like, well, and I'd want the story to be about this. And they were like, okay. So I'd, I'd thrown out two things <laughs> that I thought they would never say yes to. And then I threw out the third and I said, yeah, I'll only do it if, if you could, if Gustavo Duarte will draw it because I love his work. And, and they were like, well, we don't think he's available. And I was like, yeah, okay, well, then I'm not doing it. And then two days later, I got an email. They said, his schedule just freed up. And I was like, oh, man. So, like, those are the, some of the things that I put in front of myself. I didn't really have much of a story with... Um, the piece that I did for Humanoids, which Michael Lark drew, um, and, and originally David Aha was supposed to draw it, and and I, it's a, for a crime anthology, and I said, yeah, I don't want to write any, a crime anthology, um, and not that I didn't want to do it, I, I was just, I was really depressed during the, the pandemic, and when people were offering me jobs, I just, you know, I, I felt like I couldn't do it. So I was rather than say, no, I don't want to do it. I would throw out these challenges. Right. right? And so with the, the um, first degree, which is the humanoids anthology, I said, you know, look, I'm not writing a crime anthology because, um, you know, to me, crime is, is all about police brutality and, you know, mistaken identity and da, da, da. And they were like, go ahead. And I was like, yeah, no, I still can't do it because you don't have an artist attached. And then they went, you know, David Aha. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. And then and then David pulled out and I was like, well, you guys blew it. And, you know, then they were like, well, we got you, Michael Lark. And I was like, oh. you know, and so like those two, I use those two examples, but they were really therapeutic for me. Right. And, and I started thinking about, like, as a creator who really champions, you know, um, uh, create your own material or, 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 like, creative freedom, right? Uh, I realized, like, okay, this is, this is actually making me feel better, even though there's challenges involved. Um, and, and so, like, even the title, I had another title originally, but when I, I came up with imposter syndrome, it was like everything I wrote, I felt like, oh yeah, this story's gonna be terrible. No one's gonna like this, you know? And then the artists would start turning stuff in and I was like, oh, no one's gonna notice that my writing's bad because the art's so good. So um, it was really, it, it like in a lot of ways it reinvigorated me and it got me to thinking about things like, you know, my next goal would be to do a collection of shorts with the artists who I've, I've been dying to work with, you know? Could I, could I get, Walter Simonson to draw a four-page story for me? Could I get Howard Chaikin to do a six-page story for me? Thereby, I'm fulfilling my my just lifelong fantasy of working with some of these creators, but working like on our own terms as creators, as opposed to, yeah, maybe you get to just do it. Like that was the thing, working with Gustavo for, for DC. It was great working with Gustavo, mm -hmm. right? I, I love that guy. We met at Comic-Con years ago. He's one of my favorite cartoonists. Um, but like, I don't need to be working at DC to work with Gustavo. This mm -hmm. was, they, D DC just paid 
paid the bill. That's what it came down to. So I'm trying to figure out ways to pay the bill myself so I can do what I want to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, being that these were, were written at a time and therapeutic for you, and again, your, your creative outlet to kind of deal with you know the craziness of the world, would you say this is the most personal project? Like, is this closest to David Walker on a page, this collection? Oh, yes, most definitely. And um, one of the stories is, uh, it's a 12-pager, it's called Bully, and it's, uh, in the end, ultimately, Bully is going to be a full-length graphic novel made up of somewhere between 10 to 15 short stories, chronological, that will, will be my autobiography. Um, and so that one's really personal. There's one all about depression that's really, I think it's one of the funniest things anyone's ever going to read about depression. Um, but then there's another story that's, uh, that's, that's just about about the isolation that I was feeling during um, uh, uh, the pandemic and, and what it's like to reconnect with people. But I, I didn't, I wanted to write it like as an epic science fiction thing that was um, reminiscent of, there's a cartoonist from the 60s, 70s, Vaughn Bodie, who did a lot of underground stuff, um, who, who's just one of my favorites. And I was like, oh, I want to do something like what he would do, something that you would have seen in heavy metal circa 1978 you know, or um, epic or something like that. So yeah, it, it's really, you might not know it all, it's all personal, but it's like, oh yeah, that's my life, that's my life, that's my life, this is my, yeah, and, and, and it feels, in a lot of ways it feels good, I think simply because, um, for myself, I was just working through a lot of stuff, and and I didn't want to write a story about depression that would leave other people depressed. I would want I wanted something that would make people laugh, but also go, oh yeah, this is exactly what it's like. Or people who've never experienced depression before, which I think is a load of crap when people say that, <laughs> yeah. right? But uh, people who've never experienced it could look at it and go, oh, it's this is what it's like. So. Um, yeah, I do. I think it is, uh, you know, it sounds almost pretentious to say this is my most personal work because there's, you know, monsters and aliens and weird crap like that and zombies. But yeah, no, it's it's very personal. So being that uh, there are different stories about different, because here's the thing, none of us is just one thing, right? Yeah, yeah. As humans, we're all sort of complicated. So, you know, you're telling different stories to, to talk about different aspects of yourself. You're putting dif different aspects of yourself in the story. Is, is there a, a through line that goes through? Did you say any theme that resonates in all the stories? I, I'm trying to find it, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure someone smarter than me will find it, and then I'll go, that was what I was doing, right? Um, now it's I, I just sort of am putting it as like, this is... the. the this is like my form of therapy. This is a very therapeutic release. It's And it's also me sort of um, exploring in a way, like what are some of the directions I want to go moving forward? Bully is a thing that I'm, I'm hoping I will be able to wrap up within the next year and a half. But I really want people to get to know, you know, it sounds funny, but to get to know me as a kid and and because it starts, you know, my first day of kindergarten, and then it's going to go all the way through college, and it's all about my experience with bullies and my anger management issues. Um, and so, in a lot of ways, that's a teaser. But if this format works of just doing these short stories, I mean, we'll all buy short stories of you know, I have collections of, you know, Ernest Hemingway and 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 all these you know uh, great authors. But for some reason, comics, you'll, you'll see an anthology of a bunch of different creators, but never like a single solitary, uh, you know, writing voice mixed with other artists. And to me, like, 
once in a while you'll see it, but like I'd like to see more of it, you know. And and so if it, if this goes well enough, I'll I'll try to do more. Well, that's the thing about comics because it's so so collaborative. So much of the storytelling is in the visual. So even though it's your scripts, your narrative, yeah. when we mix David Walker with, uh, you know. Walter Simonson yeah, yeah. Uh, get to that point that's different than what we're going to see if we mix you with Howard Jake yes exactly and so I had that with um, with the uh, and, uh, there's the story that I did for Humanoids that Michael Lark drew and when the when his layouts came in when his pencils came in the first thing I said to him was you're going to take all responsibility for this story because it's not a lot of dialogue not a lot of narration um, and and I'm, I know that not all comic writers are, are this way but I don't mind when people don't know what I do. I don't mind when the the, uh, the artist seems to get all the credit for the storytelling um, because I know that like without me, without my input, they wouldn't have done what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, like to that end, there's there is a story in this collection. The the only words in it are the title and the end, and then my name and the, the artist's name. And and I told the artist I was like, you're gonna get all the credit for this. And, and I that's what I in a way I. Want that? It's it's like, um, and maybe that maybe that also grew out of the the pandemic. This sort of feeling of like um, we be, we all became sort of anonymous, and we. we, we we all hid behind masks, right? So in a lot of ways, as a comic book writer, the art is the mask that you hide behind, right? Like it's 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 very difficult for a lot of people to understand what we do. As and it's the same thing with film and TV. You can watch something and and go, wow, you know, you know, so and so is the is the greatest actor of all time. You know, someone like Robert De Niro, and it's like, yeah, no, no, Robert De Niro is only as good as the scripts that he's got, the directors he's working with, all that stuff. You know. Know? So um, there's there there is a certain amount of hiding that I'm I'm doing and wow this is turning into a therapy session even more so <laughs> well that's awesome I am gonna remember that that I love that idea of the art as the mask for yeah the narrative because again we we mentioned earlier no matter what you put on the page as a writer what the story is there's always something of yourself invested yes always and and the thing you know because I, I teach part-time uh, Brian Michael Bendis and I are dear friends we, we he brought me into teaching we taught together and we both talk about this it's like sometimes you don't know what you've put of yourself into a story until sometimes it's a, a few days later, sometimes it's years later, and you look at it and you go, oh, this is when I was working through, you know, these issues with my mom. Oh, this is when I was going through my breakup. Oh, this is when, you know, and 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 so that's, it's interesting to look at that sort of stuff, but it's also interesting to look at when you write something down and to see comics is, is about translation, right? When we, uh, we as writers put down words, but then the artist is translating that language. So I say, you know, uh, a giant cat looms in the, you know, in the jungle, right? It's a very simple sentence, very simple statement, but, you know, what, what does that cat look like? What does the jungle look like? And it becomes this whole, it's, it's translated into a whole other thing. When, if I say the word cat, C-A-T, and you look at it, you see these symbols, but you picture something else. And that's that's what I love about this medium so much, right? And it's 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 about that relationship between the creators and then the relationship between the audience and the creators. Now you mentioned a prose piece yeah. in there. Um, tell us a little bit about, about that. Because 
because that is that is so diff- different headspace because there's not going to be that translation, right? It's all, yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, it's what you just said. It's we see those symbols, those letters, and we create in our head. There's no middleman. Yep. No, I, um, so this was a, a piece that I had written for an anthology several years ago, and it was just sort of sitting around, and this was also going to be something that I was going to do, like a little ash can of, and, and because one of the things I, I tell my students is like, if you want to write comics, that's great, but you should be prepared to write anything else, whether it's nonfiction, fiction, you know, uh, critical analysis. And so I'd been asked to write a, a short st- story for this, it was a zombie anthology of all things, right? And and I had a lot of fun writing it, and it was sitting around, and it was it, the book came out like nearly ten years ago, and so the story was you know with anthologies, I, I'm not going to buy fifty of those to try to sell them at a convention. I was going to just do this ash can and 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 you know write in the back of it, maybe throw, throw some spot illustrations, and again. You know, COVID and and the paper shortage and all that stuff changed everything. And as I was putting this together, there was a moment where I was like, "Well, I do want people to know what I'm capable of as writing as a writer." You know, like like straight up, like this is what I can do. These are the pictures that I can paint with words. This is where I can take you, and 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 so we'll see if that one's successful or not. Cool. I'm I'm really excited to read this. And the other thing about it is, you decided to go zoo, right? Yep. Um, and I know what a champion you are for for creator rights. Yeah. You know, uh, 100% agree with you. I mean, these big corporations protecting the IP almost stifles the creativity. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because they're protecting their investment, their their brand. Uh, so going with this self-publishing model, you have that creative freedom. Yeah. yeah. But there's there's another side to it, and that's the interaction, the community that you mm-hmm. can that you can build. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, so I've done uh, four crowdfunding campaigns on Kickstarter. All four of them were uh, successful. Successful being a sort of, you know, like, uh, you know, it's a very subjective term, I guess, at right. the end of the day. Um, but there was... I, the last campaign that I did, I had a lot of trouble with the fulfillment, a lot of trouble with the printing, um, and it was just a little bit too much. And that in and of itself became such a full-time job, I wasn't able to focus on anything else. And I, it, to the extent that I said, I'm not going to do any more crowdfunding, I, 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 that or i got to find a different way. And then Zoop came about. I'd heard about it from two or three different creators. One was Jay Gonzo, um, John Livesey, Livesey, I can't remember his last name, um, Slow City Burn or something like that. He was yeah. telling me about it. So I was, I was looking into it, and then Jordan reached out about something else completely different. And I was like, well, let me think about stuff. And then I, I looked at this project, and I, I knew, I looked at imposter syndrome, and it was like, yeah, I'm not going to take this to Image. And I could take this to Kickstarter. Starter, but why bother, right? Like, like here's this 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 platform that's offering to do basically what Kickstarter does. It doesn't have as big of a community, obviously. Zoop, you, you say Zoop to a lot of people, and they go, "What? What's what? that?" Yeah. Um, but it was also like, well, you know. There's pluses and minuses to all of these. Kickstarter, there's pluses and minuses. Indiegogo, there's pluses and minuses. With Zoop, there's going to be pluses and minuses. But I, I like their commitment to this medium, this particular medium. And I was like, well, let's just give it a shot. Because, you know, the worst that can happen is, A, the campaign fails, right? If the campaign fails, um, I'm still going to put the book out. Like, I can, I can afford to put this out at the end of the day. Not right now, but... 
five months from now, I can take a little bit of this paycheck, a little bit of that paycheck. You know, what this campaign is going to do, I can, I'll be able to print the books, get the books shipped, and recoup a little bit of what I've paid the artists, right? Because everybody's, almost everybody's paid in full. There's one person that's not paid yet. Um, and, and I just wanted to give it a shot. You know, I was like, I, I, I am such a strong proponent for self-publishing and taking charge of your own career. And, and it's hard, right? You know, Kickstarter has got such a strong built-in community. But at the same time, some of their policies aren't the best. And, and, and sometimes you just, you, you need a little hand-holding. I mean, you, nobody fully gets how difficult it is to, like, like we talk about the pandemic. Of the, of the four Kickstarters I've done, three of them were during the pandemic. I couldn't have anybody just come over to my house and help me process everything and put envelopes and 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 the last time the last one just kind of it kicked my ass. It was um, you know something like seven trips to the post office with these you know because the post office wasn't going to come pick up you know seventy pound crates of books. So right. yeah. um, it was just it made me rethink everything and I think it's an it's it's an evolving process right. I think that with the with this, the, the final absorption of comicsology, um, Amazon absor- absorbing it. Like, what are we going to do about digital comics? Like, there's the, the like that right now. That's a very bleak landscape to mm-hmm. me. And and as a creator, as as someone who is who's you know used comicsology, I have stuff up on comicsology. I also know what a what a like what a wasteland it can be. And if you're a smaller independent creator. You had you had very little chance of getting noticed on Comicsology. Now that you're on Amazon and they've changed how everything looks, it's even less. So what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And I, I feel like myself, I'm in that position of well, sometimes I can take a risk and I can take a gamble and, and let's see if we can help legitimize this platform or this website and and give them some credibility so that they can help someone who's younger, who's who's in some ways hungrier than me, but people don't know who they are, right? Um, if you can't figure out a way to open up some doors, or at least like, you know, like give some sort of directions, like, okay, yeah, you go to the end of the block and you turn left and then just knock three times, they're gonna let you in, you know? like. Who's going to do that? So if it's not going to be me, you know, there'll be other people. But I don't mind doing that. Yeah, and and the other thing is, like you said, it, it's going to free it frees you up. You're not yeah. worried about shipping. You're not worried about oh, dealing with you know the printers, the <laughs> printers, the the, the 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 fulfillment is the hardest part. It really is. And and you know, I just, again, I just wanted to see what it was like. It was it honestly, if Zoop didn't exist, I, I may have. I, there's a good chance I may have tried Indiegogo this time around. It's just, and it's the same thing, like, okay, yeah, I can buy a book on Amazon, but there's other websites that aren't Amazon. There's independent booksellers. I live in a a city that's got a lot of, you know, independently owned bookstores, so I'll go there. One of the reasons I don't buy that much stuff on Comixology is because I live in a city with really good comic retailers. Like, I believe in supporting small independent businesses as much as possible. And, And again, so, you know, Zoop, they came to me. They they asked me, and and I I talked to Tim Seeley. I talked to Jay Gonzo. I, I talked to a few other people, and I was like, okay, I'm not hearing anything bad, you know. Meanwhile, at the same time, I knew a lot of people that were jumping ship from Kickstarter over their whole blockchain stuff. Yeah. And, and um, 
you know, I, not everybody can be Iron Circus and, and Spike Trotman, who, you know, to me is like the, the ruler of the universe of crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I, when I, and I know Spike from, from Iron Circus, when I saw that she she taken Iron Circus away from Kickstarter, that was my first thing that was like, okay, there, this, this might be time to, to start exploring other avenues. She's started just her own thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not prepared to do that, but, um, you know, I think Spike might have been the first person to even tell me about Kickstarter, and it was like, it, it, like I'm old enough to remember the E.F. Hutton commercials. When E.F. Hutton talks, people, people listen. listen yeah. It's like when Spike Trotman says something, <laughs> and and I, I just have to say this because she'll get pissed off, right? I I I, I, well, I didn't discover discover her, but I, I met her before anybody knew who she was. I loved her art. I offered her a job. Nobody knew who she was at this point, and she came back with a price quote that was like so high. I was like, I can't afford this, and she was like, Then you don't get me. And I was like, In that moment, I was like, Man, she is so badass. I like, I, I wasn't even mad. I was like, All right, you know. And I kind of sat back, and I was like, and She wasn't arrogant about it, but I remember thinking, This is a person at some point. I'll probably come to her for a job. And here we are, probably 15 years later, and it's like, I could go to her for a job if I needed to. So. Um, I think there's people that you, you know, you should watch what they're doing, pay attention, and and maybe even reach out and ask them. In, the, in this case, I didn't have to ask her why she made that decision. She's very public about it. So, um, yeah, I just, I think that we're, there's tremendous opportunity right now in this, in this medium and to a certain extent this industry, but we have to be willing to take chances and we have to, we have to um, rethink what success means to us, right? So to me, success with, with imposter syndrome means getting this, you know, uh, having a successful campaign through Zoop, getting the book out there and, and, and people discovering some of the artists that I've worked with and, and then maybe opening the door to do another collection later on. Fair enough. Well, there's a link in the show notes, everybody. You can go click there. Uh, I will remind you, as always, even if this sounds like maybe it's not for you or you would love to join the campaign, but you just don't have the funds right now, best way you can help out David and his collaborative artists is to share it on social media, get the word out, tell your friends about it, mention it at your comic shop. Uh, there's nothing worse than wanting to join a campaign and finding out about it after, you know, yeah. it did two weeks earlier or, or what have you. So, uh, yeah, go and check it out. Just click on the link in the show notes or go to zoop.gg, imposter syndrome. I think there's a lot of value. I've already joined, so <laughs> I can't wait to have it uh, in my hands. So uh, we did promise you guys we'd, we'd talk a little Bitterroot and a little Naomi. Yeah. Um, so for those that are not familiar, Bitterroot, 1920s, this family. Family of monster hunters. Monsters. Yeah. yeah, that, see, again, seems like you're, you and Chuck and Sanford are having so much fun doing that. But it is clear to me from earliest issues that this is these monsters in the story mm-hmm. they're not just monsters yeah. they're clearly an allegory for something else yeah they're they're a metaphor for what i i like to call uh the original sin of america right which is the, the foundation of this country um by settlers who were uh very you know, religiously and racially intolerant right and uh and so it's a, it's about the, the the worst that america can be which is the racism the sexism the 
hatred and how that literally transforms people into monsters. And and so Bitter Root is about a family that has spent generations fighting those monsters. And and the series which takes place in the mid 1920s, so almost a hundred years from now, is um, or, uh, yeah, hundred years back yeah. I should say, um, is 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 sort of as the family is falling apart and realizing that this isn't something that you can cure. Like for a long time they thought you could cure this. And and, and, and obviously this is stuff that we see on the news and in the media all the time. And it's like, well, how do we fix the, this? How do we atone for the sins of America? And how do we, you know, uh, find some sort of um, healing from this illness that it's created? Now, obviously, all three creators being African-American, this speaks to all three of you, I'm sure, uh, and things that you experienced while you were growing up. Yet you win an Eisner for it, and it looks like you're having fun. Is that kind of a weird? It's, it's, it's weird, and it's, and it's a very intense book to work on. We, you know, we, we get very emotionally heated. Chuck Sanford and I are, are very different people. Um, we have very similar philosophies, but then there's some where we, we differ. And, um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's um, and, and I, I said this, I'll be reaching out to Chuck and Sanford uh, sometime this week. Like, I haven't been to a show in, in two years. And the response, the one question I'm getting from everybody most often, um, when is there going to be more bitter root? When is there going to be more bitter root? Not even stuff about the potential movie. But when is there going to be more comics? Chuck Sanford and I have been bouncing around doing something. Chuck and Sanford keep saying, let's do something different. And I'm like, no, we, we have a successful, you know, property here. People want more of it. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, we're going to do a hardcover collection of all three books. Um, volume two is out of print. So we're, we're stuck. It's I think it's on a boat somewhere. Right. Um, uh, the, the second printing. So we're going to do a hardcover collection, which will come out sometime next year, 2023. Um, and, and probably around the same time launch what I'm hoping will be a mini series. So, um, you know, like maybe another four or five issue arc that will concentrate on different family members and different stories. Cool. So almost short stories set in the yeah. world of because I love me my short stories. <laughs> That's a th- and I'm trying to bring Chuck on board with the short story thing. He, he did a collection of shorts, but he's like he's more long-winded than I am. Even though he's the quiet one on paper, he's the long-winded one. Fantastic, and you did m- mention the, the movie. That that'll be a conversation for uh, for another time, because uh, I, I know we both need to get get going here. But I do have to ask about Naomi. I, I mean, I love it. You know, going back to talking about an artist mm-hmm. translating Jamal's work is just amazing, and what you and Brian are doing. She's so fresh. She's so exciting, and to have her go from you know original concept, new DC character to a TV show so quickly. It's kind of surreal. It's, you know, Brian's always like, this, it doesn't happen this way. And, and I know it doesn't happen this way because I've seen it with so many other folks. But it's like, wow, but it did happen this way. You know, it's been only, what, like three years since since we conceived of the character, or four years since we conceived of the character, then, then the series debuts. And it's pretty amazing, I, you know. Uh, I, I, I'm just, I'm thankful for the opportunity to work with Brian, who's again one of my best friends, Jamal, who I, I knew his work, I'd never met him before. 
you know, and, and this the new season that we're writing, season two, it's the first issue just came out. Uh, it's, a, it's a six issue arc, and and before we even jumped, we all made this pact in the beginning. Like, if we if we're gonna do a follow up to the first season, it has to be all three of us, or none of us are gonna do it. So it took a while because, you know, Jamal was working on Far Sector, and um, and then when we, you know, Brian had a bunch of ideas that he wanted to bring. I had some ideas that I wanted to bring, and then we were like, well, let's talk to Jamal because Jamal had written his first short story uh, at this point for um, it was it was something for DC. I can't remember if it was a Batman or a Superman story. So. Oh, this guy's got the writing bug. So we said, we had a meeting and we were like, well, what, you know, Jamal, what were you thinking? And he threw out a couple ideas and it was like, it changed the direction of where both Brian and I wanted to take the story. And then we all started building on it. And it's in, in that regard, it's been, um, it's been great. It's there's there's some other you know obviously it's it's happening happening during the pandemic and there's and there's all these other feelings but um, but working with Brian is, is 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 like to me it's such a tremendous opportunity right and um, and and then working with Jamal again and and I would love for us to do when we're done with this to find something outside of that corporate structure mm-hmm. which I'm. The older I get, the less of a fan I am of it, you know, and I'm and I'm happy with, you know, what uh, everyone at Array, you know, Ava DuVernay, Joe Blake and Ship, they're doing it. They're doing a good job with the show. Um, but it's like, yeah, the next thing between Brian, Jamal and myself, we got enough that like, we could run a show, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, let's see what we can do and 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 and, and what we can do with with our um I guess without the the corporate shackles, which might sound too strong of a term for people listening, but um, I, I I just have learned at this point in my life, like, yeah, I can do work for Marvel, DC. I'm I'm working on a couple projects for some other publishers, um, and I can do them. I can do them well, but like that's not what makes my heart totally sing, right? Uh, because because the moment you get that note that says like, well, we can't do that with this character because they're being used in the big event this summer. And it's like, and then suddenly it's like, just like the, the, it's like the air being let out of the balloon, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, because you, as passionate as a storyteller you are, you want to tell your best story. Yeah. So being told, no, this character, that character, this rule, that rule, it's not not in service to the story. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, this doesn't happen, because when I had Brian on about two months ago, maybe, he was saying the same thing about Jabal. This is like his first real big high profile, and it's a huge hit, and it's a TV show, Brian was like, yeah, I was telling you about it. It doesn't happen like this. Yeah. Oh, he's, that's all Brian ever says. And Jamal's just looking at him like, what are you talking about? I've had some, I'm having some, some really fortunate success in my career. And so Naomi isn't the only thing that people keep saying to me. Yeah, it doesn't happen like this, you know, Bitterroot. Uh, it doesn't happen like this. The hated, it doesn't happen like this. And it's like, well, it's happening like this right now. So maybe yeah. we can rewrite that, that story. It's like, it's, it's never going to be the same for every, every right. person and every project. Cool. Well, David, thank you so much for your time. Uh, best of luck with the, the Zoop campaign. Reminder, everybody, link in the show notes or just go to zoop.gg and check it out. Uh, if people want to follow your work online, where's the best place? Um, if you go to my, my actual official website, which is davidfwalker.com, I don't update it there, update things that much, but it's got links to Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. So if you have a preferred platform, you can go there. 
and that's that's it. You know, I'm on I I, I am on Instagram an unusual amount, and it's <laughs> kind of uh, disturbing at times. But you know, it's uh, but the, if you really want to get to know me, if you really want to understand what I'm about, imposter syndrome. Just get it, and you'll and then you'll probably never want to talk to me or follow me. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, I'll put a link to the website in the show notes as well, everybody. And I do recommend following David on Instagram because you love to share like pictures of when you were a kid. Oh yeah, family. like I love that kind of stuff. So uh, anyway, again, thanks so much for your time, David. Best of luck with the campaign. To all you listeners, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate it as always, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.